Uh, if you can uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. If it's not on the screen, find it in your phone or in your Bible. I'll just quickly pray before we, uh, before we read. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to hear from um, Paul, who wrote these words many years ago, but come alive today. God, we thank you also for Joel, who um, is willing to uh, lead us in this message. And we pray that your words will be on his heart and that he can share them um, to us today. God, we thank you for this service today. Amen. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and, in, sorry, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we were reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Your hands are reading. Thanks, Luke. Is this microphone working? It sounds like it is. Um, We've been going 45 minutes, so if you want to stand up for two seconds while I plug this into my pocket, you can stand up, shake your legs around, and if you don't want to, that's also fine. All right. Um, (coughs) Welcome, everyone. This morning, uh, my name is Joel. I am one of the elders in the church, and... um, when we were preparing, when we were praying before the service this morning, um, Louis turned around and goes, "Joel's back," but it's a different Joel. It's me. <laughs> um, so, um, just um, before we jump into the sermon, I, um, I I do want to pray that you would see uh, that you would not see me, Joel, the elder, up here but that you would hear from God and what he's placed on my heart. I pray that this message glorifies God and that it leaves us all rejoicing in his goodness, in his love, in his power and his beauty and his wonder, his forgiveness and his truly amazing grace. This message is not about me. It's also not about you. 
but it's about our God. So I will pray because I am nervous. So let's pray before we hear from God this morning. Lord God, we just want to thank you for this passage, the um, wonderful, glorious truth that is in it. Lord, we pray that it would be um, life-changing for us, that it would help renew our minds and change our hearts and point us towards you and lead us to glorifying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So originally, I was going to preach on these 11 verses that we just, we just heard from. And I, um, I started writing the sermon um, probably the start of this year. Not necessarily to preach, but actually just I really love this passage and I thought I'd just write a few things down. And um, yeah, we, I guess, decided a few years ago that the elders would preach once a year at least. Um, and I thought, no, this is a great passage and I would like to share what's on my heart. So I started writing it a couple of weeks ago and it didn't take me long to realise to preach on these 11 verses for a layman like myself is just going to be scratching the very surface of these 11 verses. So I've decided to just preach on verse 1 and 2. And if leadership approves, maybe there'll be another couple of sermons on the rest of this passage. But we will be focusing on just verses 1 and 2 this morning. Um, Another thing I'd like to say is, if you're reading from the ESV and NIV, you would have seen the word rejoice three times. And that was actually what I wanted to preach on, those three times that Paul uses the word rejoice. But in a couple of other um, translations, um, they used words such as to boast or to celebrate. Um, And certainly in verse 2, when it says um, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, some translations translate it to boast in. And I actually find that really helpful in this passage there's an outer expression that comes with the word boast, and I really like that. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind um, when, we, when we go through this. So, some context. Uh, we're in chapter 5, but when we, st- when we start in Romans, um, let's just say Paul is not politically correct at all. He, um, certainly in today's time, if Paul wrote what he wrote in these first chapters, he would, um, yeah, it just wouldn't have been politically correct. Uh, if he had wrote it on his Facebook page or his Twitter page or his Instagram page, the big tech giants would have been, had their censoring machines cranked right up to max before he could have even pressed the post button. Paul addresses homosexuality, something that we actually in the church probably don't talk enough about because it is tough to talk about in today's society. He talks about lust, something that's encouraged in this society. He talks about gossip, something that this society loves, feeds off, and something that the church even struggles with. He talks about the boastful. God says, um, he says that God's righteous decree for those that practice such things deserve to die. So while Paul does not say that everyone practices those things, Paul does put everyone in the same boat. He says that we are all under sin, that no one is righteous. In chapter 3, verse 11, Paul quotes David, who says in Psalm 14, to the children of man, to see if there are any who understand, 
who seek after God. They have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Paul says it like this. None is righteous, no, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worse. Paul says that no one is without excuse and that unless we turn from unrighteousness, we will face the full wrath of God. In chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So we see that no one is good and righteous in and of themselves. And even Jesus, in Luke 18 verse 19, says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Have you ever been in a conversation when someone is telling you that really for the most part, people are good? Well, Jesus and Paul tell us differently. So Paul sets all this up to highlight the need for a righteous saviour, one who could make us righteous with God, sorry, make us righteous and right with God when we could never have done that on our own. So now we start to get to the part where we rejoice and you're probably thinking, come on, Joel, this message was supposed to be a good message about the glory of God and rejoicing. But we could not even begin to understand the glory of God without acknowledging our sinful nature and where we would be going if Jesus hadn't have come to make a way for us, to make us right with him. So in Paul, uh, Paul in chapter 4 starts to talk about righteousness as a gift from God through faith in him and, and that we receive justification through Christ in his death and resurrection. Paul speaks of Abraham as someone the Jews would have known very much and says that his faith in God was credited to him as righteousness, not his good works, in order that he or any of us may boast in our righteousness. We boast in our righteousness because it is the gift of God that is not deserved. John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, has a great thought on righteousness. He says this, Suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul, Thy righteousness is, is in heaven. And I thought with awe, I saw with, my, with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me where, uh, that he wants my righteousness, for that was just before him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, or my bad frame of heart that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today and forever. Bunyan knew that our righteousness is a gift from God, one to treasure by our faith in God. So here we are at chapter 5, and though I've merely skimmed the surface of the start of Romans, hopefully it has set up the reasons why we now have to rejoice and to boast in the glory that God has blessed us, in the glory of God and that he has blessed us so richly. So verse 1, Paul starts by saying that we have peace with God because we have been justified through the saving works of Jesus Christ. We can already start rejoicing. But Paul hasn't said it yet, 
So I will hold on just a little. Therefore, after all that Paul has said on faithfulness and righteousness and justification, we have peace with God because of Jesus. Let those words sink in. I'm not one to get people to close their eyes and think about the beach or anything like that. But truly, if you sat and thought about those words, that you have peace with God. Many of us don't have peace in our families. Many of us don't have peace in our relationships or at work or with our friends, certainly with the world. There is much to be restless about. And I don't need to give an example because there would be examples flooding into your minds very, very quickly. But here God tells us that the loving arms of God the Father are approachable because of Jesus. The creator of, him, the creator of this world, the all-powerful God, says that we have peace with him. We can think of God as some sort of eye of Sauron. I don't know who's here has watched The Lord of the Rings, but when the camera focuses on the eye, it's zooming in and out and scanning the landscape. We can sometimes think that God is a little bit like that, the weight of expectation constantly on us if we're doing But friends, this verse and this passage gives us reason to rejoice in what the relationship is actually like. The foundation of our relationship with God is based on the Son and His saving work. And we don't, do not have merely a small bit of peace here in this situation or that situation, but we have peace that surpasses all understanding. Sin is the one thing Christ who bore our sin on the cross and God has set us apart. He has made us holy, as Mick was saying before. We have peace and so we are forever and ultimately blessed. Psalm 32 verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no... Pardon the weird grammar. When it, said, when it here said, is said, Blessed is the man whose iniquity is forgiven, the meaning is, this is the ground of his blessedness. This is the fundamental privilege from which all other ingredients of his blessedness flow. Every blessing that we receive both here, now on earth, and in the life to come, is from the amazing grace and the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, how could we not boast in this? May we all be better at rejoicing and boasting in this amazing truth. Now, I've been very convicted while writing this message that I do not do this well. So believe me that, I, that I'm preaching to myself very much. Peace with God is not also just something that makes us feel good. It guards us and it protects us. It keeps us close to and glorifying God. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you experience and know the peace of God? How do you experience it? If I asked you how you experience the peace of God in your life, would you be able to verbalise it? We should be able to as Christians be able to verbalise it, but it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to verbalise how we experience the peace of God. So before we move on to the key part of the message, which is about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, 
Paul, Paul says in verse 2 that we stand in grace. Not that we will one day stand in grace, but that we already stand there. We don't kind of balance from grace to not grace. We stand strong and firm in Jesus. Now that is a sermon all in itself, but Paul says it. It's super important. And grace is the reason why we are here. Without grace, we can't rejoice in the glory of God. We would have no idea. We wouldn't be able to appreciate the concept of the glory of God without... God has a covenant with his fallen and sinful people, us. He's He's called us to be children and heirs with Christ. And because of this, we rejoice. And we rejoice in the glory of God. So... I thought I'd just, just as a bit of a light-hearted sort of thing in terms of glory, screen of things that we rejoice here on earth that can absolutely distract us from the things of God, the glory that is not just around us now, but the glory of God that is to come. So we'll have a look at the first one, if the slides are working. This is me. Now, we're not glorifying in me. We're glorifying in that glorious beard. Next slide is John Cooper. He is the lead singer of a band called Skillet, one of my favourite bands. And that is, a glorious, that is a glorious beard. That absolutely is a glorious beard. We'll go to the next, um, the next slide. And we'll go through these ones quickly. We, we, I don't need anything to say about this. The next one, on the other hand, is absolutely something we can glorify in. Yet... Yeah, yeah. The sound of you guys sort of is falling flat. The next one, we'll go to the next slide. This is my home, and it's a beautiful little home. But what does the world tell us to glorify in? What we could have or what we should have. And the next slide is a mansion, something that we should glorify. And I'll chuck on the... Um, the they're, all, they're all kind of a little bit different. A beard laughable but how much do we glorify what other people have or or should I say look like that we would want to football teams how much do we glorify and put on a pedestal things like football sport football teams those sorts of things all things that distract us and probably the biggest one I think is possessions a home constantly distracted by the things that the world tells us to glorify. And a home is a wonderful place. Possessions are gifts of God, but they are certainly not things that we should be glorifying. I asked Josiah one night what he thought this verse meant about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And it was a wonderful time with Josiah. He's starting to get to that age. He's my, he's my eldest son. He's nine. He's starting to get to that age, that age where he can talk about things like this. And they have wonderful um, things to say. We got talking about God's glorious power, his glorious love, his glorious forgiveness, his glorious creativity that's all around us, his glorious care, his glorious sovereignty, his glorious faithfulness, his glorious peace. And it was a special reminder, it was a special moment, but a great reminder that I don't do this enough. I don't intentionally think of the glory of God, let alone hope in it and take joy in it and rejoice in it. Psalm 19 verse 1 and 2 describes it as something that the earth reveals to us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. 
Day after day pours out speech and night after night reveals his knowledge. John 1.14 describes Jesus, as, uh, Jesus also as the glory as, as of the son, sorry, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe in and by the word of his power. In by the word of his power. The glory of the Lord is, young, is wonderful, yet we cannot stand and live in the presence of the glory of God and live unless we are protected by God himself. I wasn't going to put this in, but I thought I would um, because I actually think it's quite important. In Exodus verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 18 to 23, he says this, Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the, the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about. While my glory is passing by, that I will put you um, in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and, and you shall see my back, but you shall not see my face. My face shall not be seen. Friends, this is the God that we serve. We will not be able to fully comprehend and appreciate and stand in the glory of God until we are resurrected in a perfect body and able to be with him and see his face. But right now we serve an almighty God, holy and righteous and just. We have peace with him, and we stand in grace because of the saving work of Jesus. The new Jerusalem is described in Revelation 21 to 23, which says, 21 verse 23, And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. On a summer's day, not anymore, unfortunately. The sun has lost its sting at this time of year, much to the shame of people like me. Um, but we read that it will be the glory of God that will give light to the new Jerusalem. God has shown us mere glimpses of his glory compared to what we will experience every day in heaven. Try and picture the paradise Jesus was talking about when he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't, and can you imagine that? Jesus didn't say, today you will be in paradise. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is where we're going. It is for his glory and not us. Us with Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit in all their glory in their presence forever. Friends, when I think of this place, I just have so much joy. And I pray you guys have so much joy as well. We think of heaven and the new earth as a place with no suffering. Sorry. Um, yeah, That's, that is where I am at. <laughs> I do wonder if we have it so wrong so much of the time when we think of where we're going. When we think of heaven and the new earth as a place with no suffering, new bodies, won't that be great? 
joy, laughter, peace. That is not what the next life is about. The next life is about being in the presence of God forever. Being with the glo- in, in the glory of Jesus the Son, the glory of the Holy Spirit. That is what we hope in. That is what we rejoice in. Knowing that God has already prepared that place for us. We're already there. Pardon me for a little bit. But Jesus, having an excitedly nervous, beating and fluttering heart, because he knows that he's going to be with us, is not correct. As in, it is just not taking the full weight of who God is and who we are. It is a theology that I see a lot of these days, and I do wrestle with it. Jesus wanting us to be with him so that we can have nice, healthy bodies and peaceful days is a fraction of what heaven is going to be about. It's about God, his glory, and Jesus the Son. Matthew Henry says, Grace is glory begun, the earnest assurance of glory. Those who hope in the voice in him now. Because we stand in grace now, the glory of God is, also very, is very much now also. So while we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in the heavenly picture, we can certainly rejoice in his glory now also. So what we take joy in and indeed also hope in has already happened and made right with God. We have already been reconciled with God. And we already have peace with God. Let us never forget that. Let us go through the many difficulties on earth with our eyes lifted up and re- up to Christ, rejoicing of the assured hope of the glory of God that is both here with us now and will be realised completely when we are with him in heaven. Well, we need to start knowing, well, we need to know that God will be glorified no matter what. God created everything for his glory And do you think he misses out? God does not miss out. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, or things, um, all things have been created through him and for him. There's an end of story, really. If we thought that we were created for our glory or our pleasure, this verse puts that thought to an end. God has made all things for his purpose and for his glory, but we get to share in his glory, God the glory. God says in Isaiah that he created us for his glory. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Again, God has made us in his image to glorify him. Romans in, uh, 8 verse 5 and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live by the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the, on the flesh is death, but to set the minds on the Spirit is peace. Philippians eight, uh, 4 verse 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. What you have learnt and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, this is how we are to be the church. To set our minds and likewise help set the minds of one another on the spirit and the things worthy of praise and rejoicing to God. Indeed, to set our minds on Christ himself and what he has done for us. To set our minds on the truth that we have peace with and from God. And to set our minds on where we are going. In doing this, we will be glorifying and honouring God. So do others know of your rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? Can they see it? Can they hear it? Have you ever had someone say to you, you always seem so joyful? You always talk of God and heaven as this place with such certainty. Like you know you're going. When was the last time you shared of your rejoicing? Not just in the things that God has done for you, because that's for you. And that, is, that should be shared. But when was the last time you shared in the hope of the glory of God? Well, first, do you believe this? Do you know this for yourself? If you don't, please come and talk to me or there's a bunch of people in this church that would love to talk with you and love to pray with you. If you, haven't, if you don't know this, if you haven't known this in your heart to be true. If you do know this to be true, don't hide it so that others can't see it. The peace of God, the grace of God, the glory of God is not for us alone, but it is for the world. So shine that, shine that light. Rejoice visibly so that others can see it. So that others may ask you, what is this joy? What is this peace that you have? I encourage you to spend some time with people, in the, uh, people here at church or friends or family and ask them. Or get them to ask you. Train yourself to answer that question. To finish, I'd like to read what David says in Psalm 60, uh, 62 verse 2. He says, He, God, alone is my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken or moved. Charles Spurgeon says, In the line, I shall not be greatly moved. Moved, as one says, but not removed. Moved like a ship at anchor, which sways with the tide, but is not swept away by the tempest. When a man knows assuredly that the Lord is his salvation, he cannot be very much cast down. It would, be, it, would need all, it would need more than all the devils in hell greatly to alarm a heart which knows God to be his salvation. It's a wonderful picture. We know that we get tossed around. We lose peace sometimes in our minds and our hearts. And we, get, we do get tossed around, but our anchor is Jesus. And if you're anchored to Jesus, there's only so far from the boat that you can go. So have peace. That is a wonderful and assuring peace that Jesus holds, that he holds us in every trial and every storm. Don't be silent either, either in that. Rejoice in it. Even though there's struggles and even though there's things that we wrestle with, tell others, show others. The storm, whatever it is, does not identify who you are. Or your life on earth. God, do not be moved. Do not be shaken. Because God is working good for you who you love him.
So hold on to Christ and look forward to the heaven, your eternal destination. Let's pray. Lord, Father God, we just want to thank you for this passage. We have peace with you. There are so many times in our lives that we forget that truth. There are so many times when we believe the lies that we don't have peace, that we, we need to do one extra thing to make to be right with you, that you are not pleased with us. But Lord, this passage tells us that because of Jesus, we have peace with God. We have peace with you. Because of this passage, we, we hear that we stand in grace. Not one day, but we do already now. Help us, Lord, to believe that when we don't. And Lord, help us to rejoice in a visible way, to boast in this, so that others may. Amen.